0: Welcome back to the Casey Adams Show. Today, I am joined by Trevor Trena, the CEO and founder of Creasus. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Trevor.
1: Hey, thanks a lot for having me.
0: Of course, no, I, I definitely appreciate you being here today. I know that um, you know, we got connected through a mutual friend, Kara Swisher from Hint. And when she put me in touch with you and I was able to dive deep into you know, your background, I was definitely inspired by your work as someone that's built and sold multiple companies and is now working on something very interesting at Creases. Definitely excited to have you on today. And for those that may not know what Creases is, I'd love for you to just dive in and tell the people what it is that you're building before we really dive into the story.
1: Absolutely. So um, for anyone who's ever either dabbled in some crypto stuff, maybe bought a little cryptocurrency or an NFT or whatever, or been curious about it, like what's been kind of lacking or missing is a tool simple enough that anyone can use it, you know, with confidence, and without fear uh, to hold or do anything on the blockchain. And so uh, I launched Kresis as an app, it's in the app store and also uh, on the Google shop, um, Android or iOS that, uh, so it's a mobile first thing that allows you to own multiple cryptocurrencies, enjoy them, but that's, you know, extra, extra safe, but also extra, extra simple so that anyone can enjoy it. I don't
0: know. Very cool. Where did this journey uh, for Creasus begin in terms of getting into crypto yourself? And then of course, wanting to go launch a platform in the space. And I'm just curious about you know the initial idea. I believe that's such a unique time in the founder's journey. And especially for someone like yourself that has, again, like I mentioned, built and sold many companies that we'll get into. Why Creasus and why now?
1: Yeah, you know, Creasus is the sixth company that I founded. And I always found companies in areas where I see either problems or roadblocks for normal consumers or something I can fix or make better, you know, like, I love that dude Dyson, you know, was always figuring out how we blow dry our hair better or like, you know, vacuum our rugs or, you know, I love that spirit. And, you know, I bring the same sort of attitude to the things that I do. And I was really interested in crypto. I really wanted to participate. I want to buy a little crypto, see what this whole thing was about, maybe hold an NFT. And I checked out all these wallets, you know, wallets are the things you use to access the blockchain. And man, they were complicated. They're like those you know, professional espresso machines you see in stores <laughs> that you have to go to school for like, you know, three weeks to figure out how to operate. And for you know sure. I downloaded one and it was like, you know, here are these phrases, you have to write them down. And if you forget them, you're locked out forever. And we're not liable and click this to demonstrate we're not responsible. I was like, Ah, scary, you know, Um, and so I started to think about it and I was like, you know, probably more people would enjoy dabbling, you know, on the blockchain, having little crypto, trying some stuff. If there was just something simple enough that normal people could figure it out, or or weren't worried about it, it's like you know, worried about putting something in the wrong place and losing it, or sending it to the wrong person and having no recourse, or or dying and it being lost forever. So I just started with a clean sheet of paper. I was like, "What would everyone want?" And I I, I invented creases. So it won't it won't dry your hair. It won't dry your hands. You know, at, at, yeah. at a rest stop, but pretty much everything else it does from your phone and it allows anyone to participate in the world of crypto, like knowing nothing without worrying about passwords or recovery phrases, or you can never get locked out. Everything's figured out for you and and you can do whatever you want.
0: That's actually very, very interesting. You know, as someone that's dabbled in crypto myself, uh, pretty heavily the last couple of years, you know, I remember the first time I understood what a seed phrase was and you're like, So lost and so uh, just thrown off by what this is. Especially, I was—I think I was like 18 years old when I first got into crypto and understood all the different wallets and everything, and cold storage. And like, oh my gosh, this is so different than anything I've ever seen. And I'm young, getting into you know the world of business. And I'm curious when you went to go think through like, how do we remove this "quote unquote" necessary step in the process? Like, where does one begin from a you know, internal company perspective to launch something that does not have these typical structures that other crypto companies do. I'm just curious to even understand, you know, how you go about that and also some of the feedback that you guys have received, because I'm, I'm very curious in it and definitely uh, excited to get your thoughts.
1: Well, you know, inventing a new product is such a fascinating process. And for me, it sort of starts with okay, why would anyone want this? What would it ultimately be useful for? Right. And you know, when I the the blockchain, most people don't even understand a crypto or the blockchain or all these things. And it's actually not that complicated. The blockchain, which as we refer to it, is really this thing we call a universal ledger, right? And so I always explain it to my mom like this: like, what if there was a gigantic chalkboard? Let's say like a the biggest accounting firm in london and anytime any transaction or important thing happens someone gets up on a ladder and writes it up there where everyone can see it and it can't be denied refuted ignored lost forgotten or anything that that's the universal ledger it's as, it's that simple so i was like well, you know why is that useful right now the first use cases are things like you know cryptocurrency or nfts which are things that live on those blockchains And if it's yours, it's yours and no one can deny it and everyone can look it up. But in the future, it's going to be useful for lots of other things, tickets, tickets to events, airline tickets, loyalty points, all your important documents, your birth certificate, your will, your driver's license, uh, um, financial transactions, all kinds of things will move to the blockchain. And when it does, we're all gonna need a tool, a tool to manage our life on the blockchain. So, you know, I sort of started with that futuristic view and then I worked backwards. Okay, so maybe we won't use that for all of it today, but what would you want today? And what, what would a normal person want? Because, you know, the, the world of crypto is kind of these like 300,000 crypto bros, you know, who can kind of figure it all out and, and you know, think that they have all the tools they need. But what they don't realize is, you know, they're kind of brainwashed, right? You know, they, they were early, they were young, they were lucky enough to figure it all out. But a lot of people have been excluded. And the analogy I like is, like, uh, the days of Web3 these days are kind of like Web1 or the World Wide Web before AOL was introduced. You know, before AOL, people were using the Internet, um, but they had to have a local a local dial-up connection, a local ISP, a modem, Prodigy. you know It was complicated. Yeah. Could some people do it? Yeah, but most people couldn't. And that's what crypto is like today. Some people can do it, most people can't. So I was like, what would be a tool that would be easy? So first of all, no one carries their computer around. With most yeah. of these crypto wallets, you need your computer. But we do our business off our phones and our pockets or our purses or our backpacks or wherever they are, right? So it had to be mobile, mobile first, multi-chain. And then there's all this talk about custodial and non-custodial and hot and cold wallets, And a lot of people don't even understand what that means, but it's as simple as custodial ones, they hold and manage it for you. Uh, A famous one was called FTX. And what did we learn? Well, guess what? The stuff you thought was safe they were actually taking it and lending it out to other people and putting it in other places and you didn't really control it right not a very good solution so can't do that have to make it non-custodial which means only you control and can touch or move or do anything to it right um because that's the only way to be and so um that was next but then what about like making it easy because you know, when I talked to people, they were like, I'm terrified of my wallet. I'm terrified, I, you know, I, I wanna send something to Casey. Casey has this 16 digit hexadecimal address. And if I send mm-hmm. him Bitcoin, it's a different address than if I send him Ethereum, right? And like, I'm I'm terrified, I'm gonna send it to a stranger and it'll be lost forever, or, or I'll put it in the wrong wallet. I need a, one wallet for Ethereum, another wallet for Solana, another wallet for Ripple. And so I just did away with all that. You have one wallet, you keep everything in it. If I send something to Casey, I add Casey within increases the way I'd add a friend in WhatsApp, you know, I know it's them. I see their face. I'm sure we're connected. Uh, If I send something to you, I see that it actually got to your wallet. I have a receipt that can prove it. Uh, We give everyone a Web3 name, you know, so that you don't have to send it to hexadecimals. I could send everything just to your abbreviated name and I'll never get that wrong. So I just went process by process trying to make it easy.
0: That's incredible. And so you launched this company almost two years ago, I believe. Is that right? Yeah.
1: We're like, almost 130 people now and we launched in the app store, um, in June and we just launched our Android version. So, um, you know, we're, we're around and we're international wow. as well.
0: Yeah. No, so 130 people. That's incredible. What has been the, the growth stages of the business? Like for you as and someone that has built multiple companies, how have you approached building creases from, you know, from a lot of, for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, right? Maybe they've started, this is their first venture that they're starting. For someone like yourself that's been through the process, what have you done differently at Creases from a business fundamental level, from getting it up and running to the now scaling to 130 plus employees and team members around the globe? Uh, I'm just yeah curious to get your thoughts on that in terms of how you've approached that differently in this venture.
1: Well, you know, um, the world is different today than it was when I started my first company. Um, and when I started my first company, which I sold to Microsoft, you did everything yourself. You had, you, had, you had your own servers. They were in a closet in the back of the office had to configure everything and whatever. And we live in a really different um, world today where everything is in the cloud or, um, or um, distributed. And um, also, you know, there's the, this um, new paradigm, mostly in Asia, which I really like, which is called a super app. And a super app is something where the company kind of does what it does and hopefully it does that well, but then it takes other incredible or best of breed products from elsewhere and integrates them all into one place so that everything is interconnected and and convenient. Um, And so that's what Creases is. We're really a super app. And that means that we've built this You know, best of breed wallet that is the better than any other wallet on the marketplace, safer and easier. But then we've also integrated stuff that other people provide, you know, seamlessly. So um, that, you know, for instance, we give you a free Web3 domain name. We do that through a wonderful partner of ours called Unstoppable, Unstoppable yep. Domains. We we let you mint an NFT for free. There's no other wallet that lets you mint. And um, we give you five free NFTs. And so like you can take a photo of your pet or your, family, you can mint it on the blockchain. Um, now, who has ever minted? Do you, do you remember the first time you ever sent an email? I mean, it's kind of a, <laughs> a milestone thing. It's simple, it takes like one minute. And we do that through a partner called Polygon. Uh, and so we've integrated all this stuff. So, it, so it's cool and it's easy and it's um, robust.
0: That's great. So talk to me about your, your previous company, I believe that was If Only, which you sold to MasterCard back in 2019. What was, if only, and I know you mentioned also the other company they sold to Microsoft, but bring us back to the origin of your entrepreneurial journey and walk us through some of the other companies that you've started and how it's led to what, you know, what now you're doing at Creases.
1: Well, so my background is pretty
0: non-traditional.
1: So yes, (laughs) I grew up in Silicon Valley. I'm born and raised in San Francisco, but um, my you know, my family like I had a pretty strong business background. Like some of my antecedents did some pretty incredible things. Um, you know, my my stepmother, ever since I was a kid, is the world's best-selling author, Danielle Steele. So I understood the world of entertainment. I understood yeah. the world of business. Um, uh, and you know, I, I studied abroad. I, I went to grad school abroad. I, like I kind of saw the world and did stuff. And. Um, uh, and then I was getting my my m b a and um I wanted to start my my own company and i based on all that i've seen and everyone I knew and my you know the background of my family, I was like, "I just don't want to work for someone else, you know I want to work, I just don't want to work for someone else and so I was like, if that's the case, then i'm gonna have to start my own thing." So, you know, I, I always had that mentality. Um, and because I, I came from an interesting family, I didn't have a fear of failure. I mean, I knew if I really fell flat on my face, I wouldn't at least have to worry about my next meal or where to sleep at night or whatever, it made me kind of brave, you know, and, uh, yeah. either brave or foolish. I don't know. Cause I, I, you know, I talk a lot about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And, um, sometimes, uh, um, it's like dangerous to know too much, <laughs> you know, I like, when I started <laughs> my sure. first company, I didn't know anything. I just knew I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Right. And so there's only actually two skills you need to be a good entrepreneur. The first is you have to know how to learn what you need to know when you need to know it. Right. It's kind of like just in time, you don't need to know everything. Um, like, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, the matrix, But I was like, you know, like suddenly it's like Keanu Reeves is sitting in a helicopter and he needs to download a program to know how to fly a helicopter. That's what it was (laughs) like when I started my first company. I was like, ah, I need to do this thing. And I don't know, but I'll figure it out. Right. So learning how to learn. And then the other thing is just stubbornness, like because every venture, every entrepreneur hits a wall. Like or there's like just some, you know, like an immovable object, like a roadblock you can't get around and it's like only the people who are too stubborn to fail, who say, yeah. I won't quit until I actually walk through this wall. Those are the people who succeed. Every one of my five companies i sold, you know, had a had a insurmountable problem and it was just my my obstinance, my unwillingness to fail that got me through. Um But my last company was um called if only it was kind of like um would be one you would love in particular because it was um sort of at the moment of the rise of creators um and you know i looked around and i was like people have enough like you know people who are lucky enough to have some extra income They don't want another wristwatch or another sweater or another handbag, or they're looking for something different, right? They're looking for experiences, for stories to tell. And at the same time, there were all these experts out, these creators who had so much to offer but couldn't tap into a market. So I was like, what if I create a place where people who crave great experiences can go and they can buy an experience instead of a thing? Um, or flipping it around. What about people who have something to teach or share or tell? Have a marketplace where they can offer what they, whatever their skill is. And so we had experiences, big and small, but all unique. So unique might have been meeting Madonna or Lady Gaga or ballooning over Mount Everest or <laughs> a day of tennis with Andre Agassi. Yeah, but small might have been go to the zoo when it's closed and feed a panda with your kid. Or an expert on chocolate will teach you an hour of chocolate making. Or, wow. Um, so it was large and small. They, they, everything helped benefit
0: charities and we made people happy. Wow. That's incredible. So you, you sold that to MasterCard in 2019 and, and you mentioned it, and I'm, and I'm familiar. So you've sold five companies out to date. Is that right? So far. Wow. What have you learned about acquisitions that? You know, if you could go back in time to speaking to young entrepreneurs that are building their companies, maybe they have acquisition offers. Maybe they want to build a company and get acquired. I know the past 18 months when I when I sold my first company last September, I learned so much through that process. Would love to get your thoughts on all things acquisitions because I think it's very rare you hear an entrepreneur that not only has started five companies but has sold that has sold five. And yeah, I, I, what's your thoughts on you know where do you even start with an acquisition and what has your experience been?
1: Well. There's a couple there's a you know a couple steps to it. I guess the first is I always call it like the train a test. So the train a test is growing a company is sort of like inflating a balloon. And you wanna make it as big as possible Mm -hmm. and tie it off before it pops, right? (laughs) Um, so you have to kind of be honest with yourself about can I get more air in this balloon? Or am I kind of done here? You know, like if I take another, you know, if I take more investment, if I expand, if I hire more people, whatever it is, like am, am I going places here or is this about it, right? So starts with kind of an honest conversation with yourself. And then, um, uh, then you have to look around and say, well, who would be a likely acquirer, right? So some people are lucky enough to take their company public Um, but those are rare, right? And so you have to know what you've got. If you think you're gonna sell your company, figure out who would want it and why would they want it and make that list a short list and then reach out, but never, like great companies are always bought, never sold. So your company's never for sale, but let's say you approach them about a great partnership and in so doing, you describe the synergy so well so appealingly that they suddenly have the idea they need to buy you right um that's kind of the way those things work best and if it happens then what you need is two things you need a senior sponsor for the deal someone who you know can like make things happen you know who has influence and then you need kind of like a mid-level person who's also super bought in, and he's willing to do the work. And the, they, those two have to work together to kind of carry it across
0: the finish line. But there's, there's definitely a way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, even just to go deeper in acquisitions, what, what has been the biggest lesson from doing that? Whether that's time frame, working with partners, finding the, the right buyer, or, or maybe a story that you can reflect on that you know, has impacted you through the process of getting acquired.
1: Well, first of all, it's about the most harrowing thing possible. The only thing I can remember is I did skydive once and I remember like getting ready to fling <laughs> myself out the door of the airplane. And that was pretty harrowing, too. But it's like, you know, you're in this um, kind of like limbo where you might be about to make a bunch of money and you might be. But a lot of things have to go exactly right. So it's it's um, kind of an intriguing moment and um inevitably a hundred things will go wrong. Like, you know, when you think yeah. everything is smooth, there's always a roadblock or something you forgot. Like in the case of my first company, it was three weeks of like negotiations. It was like lightning fast and Microsoft wanted to buy us, but they had, they insisted on closing on a certain date. And it turns out I had one big corporate investor that was very bureaucratic and they you know didn't like a couple terms of the deal which they shouldn't have had any problem with but because they're bureaucratic they did and they yeah. refused to waive certain rights they had like a 15 business day notification on something and yeah. you know like it and and you know it was just like literally pulling my hair out like couldn't sleep <laughs> and um uh you know I we couldn't tell the employees because if the deal fell through then um you know they would be dispirited but microsoft insisted on it on interviewing the key employees so had to come up with a story why microsoft was interviewing 15 people on the team and <laughs> which was you know like hard and and then it turned out the notification period ended the exact day that microsoft insisted on announcing and because mm. the big investor which was a very, very, very large chip manufacturer based in Northern California, uh, refused to be flexible. Um, and so uh, literally, we had our lawyers in Sacramento at the Secretary of State's office. And at uh, nine o'clock on the dot, they like raced in the door and filed all the documents because our board oh would God. not allow anything to be announced until the deal was final. And then, uh, like thirty minutes later, Bill Gates got on stage in San Francisco with me sitting at the front of the audience and announced the acquisition. Uh, And it's like it was a wonderful thing, but literally, like it took took years (laughs) off my life. I mean, I definitely was day drinking, you know, and uh, it was tough.
0: (laughs) Wow, now that that is such a story, it it, it makes me—I'm visualizing you sitting down in this. Auditorium, whatever it may be, Bill Gates is on stage and announces the acquisition. How did? You, how do you describe what you felt in that most in that moment, considering it was not only your first acquisition, but uh, just a very surreal moment that you had to not only make sure everything goes right, but there was a lot that went into it to make to make that moment happen.
1: You know, it's the it's the weirdest thing, but like, you know, I went to some really good schools and I'd done some really good things but I'd never actually really honestly looking in the mirror honestly felt like I was applying myself 100% um you know even even through two grad schools um and yeah. it was the first time in my life where with my first company which was called CompareNet. Like I was giving every single thing I had to give, you know, working uh, from 8am till midnight, seven days a week, like I had nothing else to give. And it was just the craziest feeling when I thought like, my God, from literally nothing with no particular skills, you know, I created all these jobs and all this value. And, you know, we had like 2 million visits a month, people who were enjoying, uh, what we're offering. And and it was just the most surreal experience. And it was like, kind of like an embodiment of the American dream. It was like, I had no right and no business to think I could have just pulled that off, but somehow I did, you know? Um, and as a like delicious epigraph to the whole thing, like, um, two days later, apparently the large, um, chip manufacturing company hadn't read the Wall Street Journal, and I got a call from the controller saying, well, you know, we've maybe worked out a compromise, you know, on this (laughs) waiver of notification thing. And um, I actually had him on speakerphone with my co-founder, and I was like, I'm terribly sorry, but we no longer own the company. Feel free to talk to Microsoft about it, because the deal just went through and wow. it was like the best feeling.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that is incredible. And for those that may not know what CompareNet did, can you give us the quick one sentence, uh, just description of the company so people have context there?
1: It was a simple concept born out of a visit I made to Best Buy one day where I was like looking for an electronics product and I knew what features it should have. And I talked to the sales guy was wearing this like bright red blazer and I was like this is what I want and he couldn't tell me if they carried it and he couldn't even tell me if that product existed and I realized (laughs) all these big electronics companies they rebrand with different numbers the same products depending on where you buy it and I was like there's got to be a better way and I was like what if what if I created a website where it had all the information on every product and you could compare them by price and feature. So you were really
0: sure you were buying the right thing. That was comparing net. Wow. No, that, that's incredible. Very cool. What, um, what have you learned? Cause I, I'm a firm believer that like, over the years, and just for context for you, Trevor, I have this trophy right here in the back. And uh, if you're watching this video, you'll see it, but it's a, it's a neck brace trophy and it's when I spent six months in a neck brace when I was 16 years old, almost paralyzed from a football injury. And it was during this six-month period of my life that was how I describe a very transitional period of my life, going from you know everything that I've known as an athlete, someone that grew up in Virginia playing um, hockey and lacrosse, and then football, to then not being able to do any of that or you know, kind of have the plug pulled from behind you and you have to recreate your identity or, or reattach yourself to, to something new. I've found that feeling to be very similar to whether that's selling my my last company or just going into a new role or starting a new venture, that feeling of just erasing all of what you've known about yourself and like really embodying this new identity with the project that you're working on. I'm curious to know how you have embodied change when you're going through these transitional times and through acquisitions from you know you worked on this project this company for so long to then not be a part of it anymore to then creating something new and to live in that creative field of okay like where do i go spend my time what do i want to go apply myself to now having after having gone through that experience how do you find creativity in your life and how have you been able to maximize those moments of new things that you were then creating
1: well you have to really love the process and Um, starting any kind of a venture is really tricky. So the first moments are just wonderful and delightful. I always say it's like <laughs> those movies you watch where you know it's a bunch of people about to sail off on a ship and you know they always leave in perfect weather and everyone's waving at the dock and there's like flowers being thrown and you know like plenty of food and and it's awesome, right? And then it's like you fast forward a number of months later and it's like the sea is stormy and everyone is nauseated and like, you know, holding on to the rail and the boat is rocking and you know it's always that way there's always some issue or something so you have to be hardy to make it through um and you have to be resilient and you have to like find your inner core of like of strength and consistency um and uh, and yet retain you know your creativity it's like while you're hiking through the woods you still have to see the whole forest right um and so I find like you have to sort of nurture uh, opportunities for creativity. And sometimes it's as simple as like build a 20 minute walk into your day or you're outside and you're breathing some fresh air and you're just away from your computer or, or meetings or, um, or just maximizing chance encounters. It's like, there is this sort of metaphysical thing and it's the weirdest thing, but it's sort of like the universe really does provide if you are open to it and you're paying attention, I've can't tell you how many times, like some thing I didn't want to do, but decided I should or place I didn't want to go, but decided I should led to the, the very thing I needed in order to survive, um, multiple times. So you have to be open and paying attention. Um, and, um, um, I find, even though I am lucky to be both creative and a business brain, like ideas are always best when they're honed off of of feedback, right? So I like to introduce yeah. it to my team and then get their thoughts and um, and you know factor that in and 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 argue and you know debate and because it often makes makes the concept better.
0: Yeah, no, that's very appreciative of that insight there, and I, I want to change the conversation a little bit here. I know that, so you were the uh, United States ambassador to the Republic of Austria. Is that correct? (laughs) That is very much correct. Talk to me about, A, what that means for people that may not know and what that involved and what that process was like and how you got the opportunity to, to be that.
1: Yeah. Well, so I mentioned I, I came from a little bit of an unusual background, Yeah. amongst, amongst the other things, my grandfather had three ambassador level posts including ambassador to Austria when i was a young boy and i actually went to austria visited him nice. and stayed in what would one day become my residence um, wow. and so as far as i know i think i'm the uh, the first american ever to take his grandparents diplomatic post um wow, and that's I've always been interested in international relations. I have a, actually a graduate degree from Oxford in international yeah. relations, and um, you know, you you grew up closer to Washington, so you maybe yeah. closer to diplomacy. But most people don't understand, you know, uh, diplomacy or the State Department or foreign ministries of other countries. But um, you know, we uh, America has. Roughly a third of our ambassadors are chosen by the White House. They're called political appointees. And this is a tradition that goes back to the founding of the country. So if you think about um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, John Adams, you know several of our founders were our first emissaries. In fact, the Constitution only mentions three positions for the executive branch: president, vice president, and emissary, which is what we call ambassador. And uh, early ambassadors had, tremendous powers, you could declare war, you could sign a peace treaty, you could sign any treaty uh, because communication was so slow, it would take months to get something you know, to Washington and back. And even now our ambassadors have extraordinary authority. They're almost like the, the representative of America to any country or organization. And in my case in Austria, you know, I had hundreds of people who worked for me, 13 branches of government who reported to me. And about half of my job was kind of setting strategy and um, working with my teams, understanding what they needed. And about the other half of the job was being out there, meeting with the leaders of the country, uh, meeting with um, religious leaders, um, business leaders, students, traveling the regions, uh, figuring out where we could help each other, do more business, uh, be stronger military partners, uh, be cultural partners. And so it was a fascinating opportunity.
0: Wow no, that's such an incredible experience and opportunity that you, you've been able to experience yeah when, and, when it comes
1: you know I've done five companies, and I was ready for a change to start growing in a different way and uh, to to have a different kind of experience
0: yeah absolutely so you you talk about growing up in this very unique household. I'd love to understand some of the the lessons that you've been able to learn from you know, not only parents but mentor figures in your life early on that have helped shape the way you see the world.
1: Well, I was just always taught, you know, um, anyone can make a difference. Anyone can change things. Um, and to be brave about it. And, you know, my parents are also extremely philanthropic. So they're always giving back or or volunteering or on the boards of different organizations and, and that's also a part of life but i think the american model works well when you tap your talents you tap your skills you make a difference maybe you are successful and then you take that success and then you use that to make a difference in other ways you know that's efficient um and that's what i've always uh tried to do as well
0: love that no, I, absolutely so you're you're still in sf now is that correct that's right i live in san
1: francisco and that's where creases is based
0: And it's Uh, funny because
1: in the Web3 space or the blockchain space, you know, a lot of these companies are like crypto dudes hiding on Caribbean islands, avoiding U.S. taxes. Right. Uh, And that's kind of no way to be. And it doesn't really inspire a lot of trust. And with Cresus, you know, we're based in California. We have an actual office and a headquarters and 24 hour customer service. And a phone number and you know if you want to build trust
0: in a long-term business you sort of have to have to do those things absolutely it's so interesting too because the given what crypto has went through the past year you see these companies ftx celsius and it 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 creates a lot of fear in people's eyes and you know as you just said being that front-facing company that as you said is not just doing the gray area caribbean off the, offshore and all that type of stuff when it comes to the market today for crypto it's interesting i, I had tyler winklevoss on the show back in 2021 that was a, a great episode just to dive into everything that he's been doing and obviously his background in in crypto but you know he was sharing his thoughts on the market then and this was actually late 2020 coming into 2020 20, 2021 so very uh just looking back it was it turned out to be one of the biggest interviews i've done on a youtube channel because <laughs> it was just the timing was there right um, but i'm curious to get your thoughts on what has happened the past year how you and your team have adapted to that and where people and what people should be thinking about now that are not only still believers in this technology but want to continue utilizing it and diving deeper into how it can impact their life their business and everything that they you know want it to
1: well, first of all, Tyler is actually one of the investors in Creases, so I think Love it's that. pretty cool you had him on. And he and his brother are very much visionaries. Um, you know, um, uh, the he, he, there's that old adage, you know, like buy low, sell high. But it's often hard to do. Right. So um, we were we've just gone through a a total craze like a mania, you know, where NFTs, crypto, all of it it was like going to the moon and people were throwing their money in. And you could argue that's exactly the wrong time to be investing, you know, when there's a craze when you want to invest is when, you know, the chips are down and um, the the valuable or the worthwhile things can be had at a discount. Right. And so, you know, it's not my job to sell crypto. It's not my job to sell NFTs or to give advice. Right. But I would say it's pretty clear there are some things that are very worthwhile and that have a really good reason for existing. Um, and are not going to go away, if anything, over time, they're going to have more adoption and more demand. Um, and so if those are things that are interesting to someone, now would be the time to buy them, right? Um, and, uh, you know, like, again, I don't know anything about NFTs. I don't really collect them, but I know there are some really good ones and that they are probably way undervalued. It's like, uh, you know, it's NFTs are not unlike you know subway art or graffiti and everyone was like who would buy a doodle or a graffiti or whatever well guess what there was this guy keith herring and this guy banksy and you know there are people who took that art form yeah. and really ran with it and i'm sure the same is happening with nfts and that there's probably some that will look back and go oh my god why didn't i buy it when right yeah. um so there's for sure opportunities and soon I think there's going to be many others. Like, I really point to Starbucks. You know, Starbucks has this incredible the rewards program, program called Odyssey, where you can collect digital things. Um, it's wildly popular and really well done. Nike has done a whole bunch of very clever and cool things, but a lot of companies have. And yeah. there's going to be more, and people are going to want a place to keep the things that they've bought or that they've earned and that are theirs. And that's Croesus. Croesus is the wallet, you
0: know, the repository. Absolutely. No, that, that's incredible and it, it's so interesting too, because you see I'm like one of my buddies who I had on the show back 2021, he was a NFT photographer, Just, his name's Justin Aversano and ended up having him on the show and he turned out to be one of the most like iconic specifically NFT photographers. He did this whole auction with Christie's and uh, I don't know if you're familiar, are you familiar with Justin? I am. Oh love that do you own any of his pieces i'm just curious not yet <laughs> okay <laughs> but i'm I love gonna so make I, a note th- so just it's so crazy looking back like this was february 2021 he came over to my apartment and literally showed me what an nft was and as you said about minting something and remembering what that was or that first email moment right like it's that is the moment i reflect on when he's opening up his laptop and showing me himself minting his art right on the spot and Seeing that and then reflecting on the the journey that his, he has been on, and what he's created has just been absolutely incredible, but it, it speaks to not only what you said earlier but um the impact of finding true people true visionaries in the space that are taking it seriously that are actually utilizing technology for you know the right reasons, so
1: yeah, and you know like that's uh, great uh, uh, like if you download the Creases app, the first thing we show you is. And not like how you can buy crypto or whatever. Yes, we offer you tools that let you do buying and swapping or whatever. But the first thing we show you is just education, how to do stuff, what to know, what to learn. And we show you just a selection of really cool projects that we have nothing to do with. We don't get a commission. We don't, they aren't ours. Like we'll show you Nike things and whatever, just stuff to explore, right? Because we just want, like you said, we want to open people's eyes and just spark their imaginations.
0: Absolutely. Bring me back to the early childhood, Trevor, you know, growing up, what were some of your early ambitions or just not even ambitions, ideas of how you viewed the world and what you wanted to pursue, you know, coming from you know, your mother being an incredible author, did you want to go build companies and like you know create products, or when was the entrepreneurial spirit really uh, just injected into you and, and how did you end it up how did you end up finding yourself at a young age to then go pursue that, and what was that process like for you
1: i I hate to say it, but yeah, from a very young age, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, my great great grandfather founded one of America's largest companies and I'd sort of studied him and knew about him. And, um, but I was just, you know, the guy who like entered every contest, you know, cause I hoped I could (laughs) win or like, um, you know, I was sort of always thinking about stuff and, um, you know, I tried to be creative, but also practical, and um, I uh, I was very observational. So I was just, you know, I would talk to my parents' friends, ask them what they did, you know, try to learn about stuff, um, uh, re- read or hear people's stories, and what and what and learn from their stories and be inspired. Um, and uh, uh, as I said, you know, it was frustrating to me because you know, when I was young, I guess people would say, Oh, you're going to be so successful. And I felt like saying, how do you know, like, and how (laughs) Like, wasn't obvious what I was going to do, or how I was going to do it, or why I would be successful, only that I wanted to be successful. But you know, I kind of had to figure it out as I went.
0: Absolutely. And something that I actually you you spoke about earlier that I wanted to bring up just, um, well, in terms of photography, you collect photographs and i believe uh you have a very just a what was it an honorary advisor to the fine arts museum of san francisco talk to me of that passion of yours and when that was formulated in your life
1: i am a big art collector um and uh i i have a pretty um, pretty comprehensive photography collection. And I, I originally started loving American art and I really wanted to collect it. And then I just realized it was too expensive and I would never be able to afford the masterpieces, right? And so, but I liked photography and I realized that I could afford to buy art photographs and that the masterpieces were still pretty much available. You know, they weren't all in museums or... And so I just started doing it and it was colorful and fun and I started to really dork out on different themes so I collected a lot of the most important female photographers from Diane Arbus to Cindy Sherman to very contemporary ones as well as I was really interested in the origins of color photography like photography used to be like in a ghetto it was like separate from art right and it was only small black and white prints but today even the most famous artists you know, uh, they, they, even if they aren't photographers, they still dabble in photography. Um, and how did that happen? And how do we get these large color photographs? And so I collected a lot of the earliest color photography and, um, and up to contemporary. And it just allowed me to, to exercise my curiosity, um, and, and have some fun.
0: That's awesome. And understanding that too, I mean, is The photo behind you—does that have any significance, or or what is the uh, the story there? All for those that are watching.
1: All of mine have significance, right? Of Uh, course. But one thing I'll say is, like, I'm I'm not the guy who likes like a little still life. It's like a you know a bowl of pears or like a pipe on a on a table doesn't cut it for me. Like, I like photography that's about the world that informs me that. Challenges me. Like I like photos where every time I walk by, you know, I look into a little window or I see a different thing that I didn't notice before or there's a bit of a puzzle, something to wonder about. Like I like I like photos that sort of, you know, and also that just train your eye. Like every time I look around, I, I, I see something different because of the the lenses of all these great photographers who who I yeah. collect. And so it's it's always informing my own eye.
0: Yeah. So the, fo- the photo behind you, what does that piece represent? I'm curious.
1: Oh, it's uh, from a theater and it's just kind of cool. And I'm, I'm actually in my <laughs> office at the Croesus headquarters, the world headquarters. Um, and uh, just sort of something I thought would be fun for here. Oh, but, you know, I have cool. very large photographs. I have tiny ones and I have color ones and I have black and white ones. And um, mostly from kind of the mid 20th century to very, very contemporary.
0: Love that! No, it, it's super, super interesting to just dive into that whole world and and seeing how you've been able to collect over the years and how passionate you are about it. It speaks volumes to you know, like w- what you love to do. So appreciate you sharing all that the insight there, uh, Trevor. Before a couple more questions before we wrap up. When it comes to just your younger self if you were to go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice when it comes to building starting growing and scaling a company what were, what would be some of the foundational elements that you want, would want your younger self to know you know to be honest it would be just a lot of small
1: things you know because i always had the hunger and i always had the dream and the and I was always brave, uh, and those were the foundational elements. You know, there's lots of small things like you know, um, I, I've never, uh, uh, I've never um, fired someone, you know, too quickly, you know, like when you have a team and you have a team member and that team member is in any way taking away from the experience of the whole team, like I'm always too slow to fire them. Lots of little tips like that, you know, there's fine tuning, right. But, um, the, um, the main things I think I, I think
0: I got right, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, before we wrap up here, what are you most excited about looking into the future of what you're building at Creasus and what excites you for the rest of the year and the years beyond?
1: You know, I've created a lot of useful and cool and fun tools, um, and they've ultimately found their way into bigger products at bigger companies, and I'm proud of that, and I'm proud of, of creating jobs. But, you know, I, I actually feel like um, I have this insight that other people don't about the blockchain, that it really is going to be ubiquitous. It's going to be like the World Wide Web where it's going to change everything in ways people really don't realize and that the tool that people use to to enjoy that will will change everything. Right. So if you look at Web one or Web two, first it was the browser, then it was the search window uh, or the or the social graph. and. With Web three, it is the wallet. That's the tool. And so, I don't think I've ever had an opportunity to do something so profound that could touch so many people. Um, and uh, you know, one of my dear friends and great mentors is this guy called Johnny Ive. Johnny was Steve Jobs' partner and yeah. built, um, you know, built many of the most influential Apple products. And you know, he talks to me about like. What it's like to think that in over a billion pockets sits an iphone that he created right and that to me yeah. forget about money or anything like that like you know if you could really have that level of impact like wouldn't it be wonderful you know and that's yeah. that's what inspires and motivates me like i always say like you know i admire many athletes but the one i admire the most is arnold palmer because who wouldn't want to be named after the most delicious <laughs> beverage in the entire world that everyone drinks at their club or whatever? It's like, talk about uh, change, changing the world, right? And so hopefully Croesus someday will be something that really offers people incredible utility. That would be like the best legacy I could ever hope for.
0: That's a beautiful statement. Trevor, well, before we wrap up here, I just want to give you the opportunity. So where is the best place for everyone for everyone watching or listening to to stay connected with you, to learn more about Croesus and to most importantly download the app and you know take advantage of what you're building?
1: Yeah. So if you just go to the app store and just look at the Croesus super app, you know, crypto app, it's spelled yep. just like it sounds K-R-E-S-U-S. Uh, So you can download it there or in Android. Um, We also have a website uh, that you can check out, creasus.com that has information and updates. So um, either way, you know, I I hope it, I hope it brings a new dimension to people's experiences.
0: Incredible. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know I learned so much and really appreciate you taking the time to be with with here with us today. (laughs)
1: Well, you you were so nice to put up with me, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Of course.